What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hey, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox, Playboy's Miss January 2012. With the hottest Jag I've ever seen. It's B.O.B. checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show Podcast. All right, welcome, everybody. I want to thank you for coming. Probably don't need the microphone tonight, but it makes for a nice effect, and I've got some visuals to show you as we go. Let me welcome you to So You Want to Launch a Podcast. Quickly about me, I was a radio DJ for 15 years, started my career in Burlington, Vermont, worked for a couple stations there, 92.1 Kiss FM, 95 X. came here to Detroit in 2011, worked for Channel 955 for about 18 months, went down to New Orleans to run a radio station with a very New Orleans name, Voodoo 104, for three years. And following that, moved back here and worked for about a little over a year at 98.7 Amp Radio before it became 98.7 The Breeze. So I'm going to start you off with some reasons to get excited about podcasts. This is current data. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It's his new podcast. He gets a million downloads every episode. His TBS show gets only 300,000 that watch it. Pod Save America. Anybody here know Pod Save America? It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's hosted by several former Obama staffers that worked for him in the White House, and they kind of riff about their opinion and perspective as to what's currently going on in the White House. So as you can imagine, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, they get $2 million per episode. They even have, uh, they'll make fun of their advertisers in their commercials, and the advertisers don't care because 2 million people are listening. Over half of rookie podcast listeners, that's people that are new to podcasting, they are age 12 to 34, and for those of you who are in marketing, you'll know that that is a very difficult demographic to reach with traditional media, so podcasts are a great way to reach them. And finally, this is from Edison Research's Infinite Dial study that comes out every year. 14 million more people are listening to podcasts every week as opposed to just a year ago. So those are numbers to get excited about. And as with any good podcast, you start with a rundown, what you're going to cover in that episode. So I will tell you that we're going to do a little bit about podcasts. I'll give you some more podcast statistics. And then as far as starting your show, I'm going to run through the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And then some equipment explanations and recommendations of stuff that you might want to invest in if you're picking out equipment for a podcast. Anybody know what movie that's from? It's from James Bond, one of the James Bond movies. I don't know which one. I stole this from Joel Saul Sihi, who runs the Stacking Benjamins podcast. It's a financial advice podcast, and it's based right here out of West Bloomfield. Any James Bond movie, the first two minutes start with a car chase, something exciting, a big adrenaline rush for the audience. And that's how you should think about your podcast. The worst thing you can do is to start off with, hey, so here's what I had for breakfast today, and here's where you can follow me on social media, and please be sure to re- leave a review on iTunes. People who are listening to your show for the first time, little secret, they don't care. So start strong. And again, this is from Joel Salcihi at the um, podcast movement convention last month. In that first two minutes, there's a two-step combo you'd like to sort of employ. Eliminate friction. Anything that's going to cause friction between your audience and listening. If it's bad audio, if there is inconsistent volume levels, if there's anything that's going to make somebody cringe and not want to continue listening to the podcast, you want to eliminate that. Finally, surprise and delight. You want to impress them in that first couple minutes. You only get one chance at a first impression. Marriott did a study. That's how long it took a guest to decide if they'd like a hotel. First two minutes of walking in. Before they get to their room, 
walk in the hotel, walk around the lobby. Within two minutes, they've decided whether or not they like the hotel. That two minutes is key. That housekeeping at the end, all that stuff you hear in podcasts of leave a review in Apple Podcasts and follow me on social media and uh, here's how to subscribe to my newsletter and maybe even in some cases, hey, buy this product that I'm hawking. If you do that at the beginning, you're not going to have anybody do any of those things. Think of it as a transaction. If you have given them something of value in terms of content for 15 or 30 or 45 or even five minutes in that podcast, you can ask them for something at the end after you've already provided them with something of value. If you have dedicated listeners to your show, they're going to listen all the way through. You can get all that stuff in at the end. But if somebody's checking out your podcast for the first time, and that's the first thing they hear, a lot of other choices when it comes to podcasts and entertainment in general. And also, if you don't impress them at the beginning, they might see you pop up in Apple or whatever their podcast app is later on, a year later, you might have fixed and worked out the kinks. Oh, yeah, I listened to that show. I, I didn't like it. I'm, I'm not going to come back. So, again, one chance at a first impression. It's a cliche, but it's true. Start at the basics. What is a podcast? It is a portable piece of audio that can be streamed on demand or downloaded for later listening on any internet-connected device, computer, phone, tablet, you name it. Uh, there's been some expanding of the definition of podcasts lately where it's including YouTube and video. In the strictest definition, a podcast is this. It's a piece of audio that you can stream or download. But whereas the podcast field is growing so exponentially, we're kind of widening the tent. And there are some people who consider video podcasts a podcast. So we're not going to exclude them. But in the traditional sense, this is what a podcast is because this is how it started. Podcast came from the device used to listen to the very first podcasts. Some of you may have had one of these, an iPod many years ago. But if you think about a podcast, it really is a piece of storytelling. That goes a little bit further back to our friend right here. Why are they growing? Video is popular. Anybody, again, in the marketing and the digital space, you'll be, you hear video, 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 online video, online video. And yes, it is growing so fast, especially with 4G and now 5G. It's so much easier to watch video on your phone wherever you go. But the thing about audio is it goes where video can't. You're at the gym, you're walking your dog, you are doing stuff around the house, you're in the car. I always say you shouldn't watch a YouTube video while you're driving, or at least you shouldn't. Or you end up like this lady right here, and she's probably in for a bad next five or ten seconds because she's watching a video on her phone. So share of ear, this is part of Edison Research's annual study. They do a really big, giant study about what people are listening to and all the different pieces of it. Among regular podcast listeners, these are people that have listened to podcasts within the last, you know, probably week or so. Last, I'm sorry, last 24 hours in the fine print at the bottom. So people who are dedicated really into podcasting, and as somebody who worked in radio for 15 years, this was a little bit surprising and eye-opening to me. If you're really into podcasting, you're listening to podcasts 28% on the right there, more than AM, FM radio, 24%. Listening to podcasts more than listening to the radio. It's the biggest slice of the pie on here. When you're talking about uh, reaching people with podcasts and down the road, maybe even including advertisers on your podcast, this is percentage of people who have a household income above $75,000. U.S. population 12 plus, only 29% of people are at that level of income. But among podcast listeners in the same age group, 41% of people are listening to that income. So on the whole, podcast consumers have more income and thus more disposable income than 
the general population. Same thing with how much education they have. Uh, you can see on the left, the pink is the general population, 18 plus. The right of the teal is podcast people, 18 plus. As you go across, you see that the teal overtakes the pink as you go from college to a four-year degree to even grad school and beyond that. So not only are they making more money than the average person, they've got a higher education as well. Very attractive to podcasters and advertisers. The assumption is that podcasting is a young man and young woman's game. In some ways, yes, but not entirely true. You can see that obviously there's a lot in 12 to 24, 25 to 54, and that's 2017, 18, and 19 if you can't see the fine print. But if you look on the right at age 55 plus, yes, it's a smaller percentage, but look at the growth. That's almost 50% growth from 2018 to 2019. There is an audience out there that's 55 plus that's listening to podcasts. So don't be afraid to exclude people on the older end of the demographic. Uh, I'll look at this for a second. This is a uh, podcast topics that consumers are interested in. Music is big, news and information, entertainment, celebrity gossip, food, even sports. Sports talk is, of course, huge in radio and now into podcasting as well. And you can see true crime on there on the left, too. That is growing exponentially. There's always been a fascination with true crime, even back to like the Dateline and 2020 days on TV. It's now in podcasting. In fact, you, a lot of you, anybody listen to Serial at any point? That was the first podcast I listened to and the first podcast a lot of people listen to. But as you can see, there's topics all across the board for everybody. Uh, you'll see these numbers add up to more than 100%. This is pe people who have used any of these methods to discover a podcast. And this actually surprised me. Googling and searching the internet was actually the top on this list. 73% of people have found a podcast just by Googling or just by searching in a podcast app. Um, next is word of mouth. That's new school word of mouth, social media, and old school word of mouth, just recommendations from people you know, people you trust, friends and family, or other podcast hosts. These are all ways people have discovered podcasts, but at the top of the list, social media, word of mouth, and just searching online. This is an important number because that is the number of podcasts Google is indexing. Google is behind Apple in the podcasting game. Apple podcasts still represent about 70% of podcast listening in the U.S. Not as easy to get a podcast on an Android phone as on Apple. But Google is starting to include podcasts in search results. What they're doing is they're using their AI to transcribe the MP3, the audio file of the podcast, so that you can't obviously search for audio in a simple Google search, but if you search for a topic and that might come back as being discussed on a podcast in your search results, you know, now you start to see YouTube videos and a bunch of other different things besides articles in your search results. Google's in the process of rolling out to start showing podcasts as well. So that's going to be key that people can find uh, the topics you're talking about in your podcast with Google searches as the next year or two go on. Why do people listen to podcasts? Pretty uh, straightforward here. Want to learn new things, be entertained. You want to stay up to date with uh, stuff. And then on the bottom few, those actually surprised me a little bit too. Some people were looking for inspiration in podcasts or to escape. There's a lot of inspirational podcasts out there. There's a lot of podcasts of people helping other people, inspiring stories. So yeah, news, talk, sports, those are big, but the inspirational piece of it is, can be big as well. The top one on this list surprised me also. So what are people doing while they're listening to podcasts? Again, same thing, more than 100% total on here, but this is the amount of people who have participated in any of these activities. And tops on the list, 
They gave the podcast their undivided attention. They weren't doing anything else. In your podcast, you have a captive audience. Rest of it is stuff you might imagine, doing stuff around the house, driving, cooking, baking. I always listen in the morning when I'm walking my dog. Public transportation, places like New York where you may not get cell service in the subway that well or download the podcast, listen to it on your way to work, on your commute. This goes back to something I mentioned a moment ago. We talk about in the digital world about cost per thousand and all these metrics and how many eyeballs you're getting your Facebook ad in front of and how many likes did you get on Instagram and all that. But if you think about it, you're making a lot more of a commitment to listen to a podcast than you are to like a cat video on Instagram. You are giving somebody a dedicated amount of your time so while a podcast audience might not be as big as Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, it's quality, not quantity. Those listeners are there and they are paying attention to what you're saying. So you may reach a smaller audience, but you're going to reach a more significant audience. And also people tend to listen to the whole podcast or most of it. So you can see 52% of people listen to the entire show. 41% of people listen to most of it. Add that together, you've got 93% that listens to most of the show. And again, this inf the study that it's free to download the study if you're interested in more slides on the data here. So it's called the Infinite Dial. You can Google that study. It's called the Infinite Dial. And part of that Infinite Dial study is this podcast consumer piece of it. Edison Research out of Boston puts it together. People tend to listen to podcasts quickly. Um, once they download them too, almost half within a day of downloading it and then another third within two days. So again, add those numbers together. You've got what 78% of people are listening to a podcast they've downloaded within the first 48 hours of downloading. And sometimes it's about news and content and that content's stale three days later. So if people are downloading your podcast, chances are they're listening to it pretty quickly after they download it. Again, how likely are you to consider a brand that was advertised in a podcast? 54% are either somewhat or much more likely to listen to a podcast. And this goes back to, I assume most of you grew up here, if not all of you. If you grew up listening to your favorite radio personality, whether it was Mojo in the Morning, Dave and Chuck, Drew and Mike, Paul W. Smith, the list goes on. If you heard a regular 30 or 60 second radio commercial, that's one thing. But when you hear Mojo or you know, Drew and Mike or Dave and Chuck talking about some specific thing that they did or that they believe in, it carries more weight because if you think about listening to those guys on your way to school or on your way to work growing up, you feel like you have a relationship with them because they're with you in the car. That is the intimacy of audio, and that's really with the power of a podcast in terms of connecting with your audience. And then if you're able to sell advertising, great, because your word is going to carry a lot more weight than just some pre-recorded ad or go buy this, go buy that. Enough with the stats. I'm going to kind of cover now the nitty-gritty here of who, what, when, where, why, how. As any good journalist will ask, those are the six questions, the five W's and the H. This is the most important. Why are you doing the podcast? You know, for some people, it's a vanity project. Like, I, you know, my friends told me I'm funny. I should have my own podcast. If you want to do that, great. I'm not here to judge you that much if you want to do it that way. Are you going to use it as a marketing tool for your business? Is it going to be one more, one more channel for you to promote your business? Is it going to be a resource for a group? And the most important one on the bottom there, if you are not passionate about what you're talking about, people will see through that in the blink of an eye. If you are not into the subject you're covering, people have a very good BS detector, and they're not going to stick around, and the content's not going to be compelling. 
I'll give you three examples of shows that I've worked on that fit into some of these categories. Spiro Avenue is a sports guy, uh, Justin Spiro, who does the show out of his house. He's got very strong opinions about sports. He has different columnists come in and talk to them, and he's not really trying to monetize it. He's not trying to do anything huge with it, but he just wants to do a podcast. He enjoys doing the podcast, so that's fine. So when he wants to do a podcast, he calls me up. I go up to his house, and we record the podcast together. The middle one um, is Marrow Masters. That is through the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, which is a resource for those who have had a bone marrow transplant. And unfortunately, if you get a bone marrow transplant, there's a disease called graft-versus-host disease, which is when your body sometimes rejects some of the cells from the bone marrow transplant. There's acute, there's chronic, it can be very painful, have a lot of side effects. So I worked with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link to create a six-episode podcast season that's going to be a resource for patients who are dealing with this disease after transplant. We did one episode with a doctor, one episode with a nurse, one episode with a therapist, one episode with a surviving patient, and one episode with a researcher. So we got all the different perspectives on it, and people learn a lot about different treatments and things that are effective in dealing with this disease. Uh, and finally, on the bottom, the uh, Detroit City of Design podcast, that is through the College for Creative Studies, uh, Design Corps Detroit. Olga Stella. She wanted to do something in conjunction with uh, Detroit being designated a UNESCO city of design. That happened a few years ago. Detroit's the only U.S. city, by the way, to be designated a UNESCO city of design. It's a very high honor. And September is Detroit Month of Design. So she wanted to do a podcast about inclusive design. And what inclusive design is, there's this idea around design and architecture that it's this very exclusive elitist club. And inclusive design takes different perspectives and opinions from the entire community gives them a hand in the role in designing things. In 10 episodes, she talked to 12 people that either are from Detroit or have some connection to Detroit about design. She put that in the College for Creative Studies and um, Design Core Detroit social media, newsletters, drove listeners that way, and then people who found the podcast have gone back and found their resources that way and sort of completed that circle of using different marketing avenues to promote each other. Obviously, this is important. Where are you going to do it? You can do it in a professional studio if you have the means to do that or access to a studio. I know the guys at Podcast Detroit rent out studio time. They've got pretty good equipment there. Those are good guys. Are you going to do it in your home or in your office? And things to think about if you're going to do that are you generally don't want a lot of uh, flat surfaces and hard floors. Stephanie will laugh back there because she and I did a mic test in this room and it wasn't a good room for a podcast because you look around the room, it's all flat surfaces. And if I speak up very loudly, you'll hear the echo bouncing off the walls. Another thing you can do is if you're in a particular industry that's got events and seminars and, uh, and conventions, maybe you're going to a convention, you want to talk to people in your field there, and you can bring a portable recorder with you with a couple microphones and do that, and I'll get into equipment later on. So where are you going to record it, and where do you want people to find it? You can embed the podcast on your website. You can tell somebody, just go to my website, click play, listen to the show. You can have it downloadable from your website. You can just download an MP3. You want it, obviously, on your social media to promote that. And then, of course, the big podcast apps. As I said, in the U.S., Apple is 70% of all podcast listening. Spotify is making a big run at them. Spotify has invested over half a billion dollars in 2019 into buying up other podcast companies along different stages of the creation train. And if you have Spotify and use that app to listen to music, you'll notice that podcasting is showing a lot more front and center when you're looking in the app. They are making a big push into podcasting. 
So Apple, Spotify, and Google are the three places that you really want to be more than anything. Because if you have an Android phone, you're not going to be listening on Apple Podcasts. You might not be listening on Spotify. But Google Podcasts is still working out some kinks, but they're there. And also Google, if Google has your podcast, they may index it and show you in search results. Other ones I use, I have clients get on Stitcher and TuneIn. Those are a couple percentage points, if maybe 1% of podcast listening, but it doesn't cost anything to submit your podcast to them, so you may as well. iHeartRadio, full disclosure, that's where I worked for a couple different times. First is Clear Channel, then is iHeartRadio. They're making a big push into the podcasting game, too. They are the largest radio owner in the United States. They owned, at their peak, they owned 1,100 radio stations across the U.S., and now they own... Still a fair amount. Locally, that is Channel 955, FM 98, WJLB, WNIC, 1067, Wheels, and a couple other ones. So they're making a big push into the podcasting space as well. What's that? They're not your channel. No, they're iHeartRadio. See, there's a good point because there's the app and there's the company. They're not owned by iHeartRadio, but the iHeartRadio app also streams radio stations from other companies that they have a partnership with. So that's, that's an important point of differentiation. I'm glad you said that. iHeartRadio is a little bit finicky in approving podcasts. You submit to them. Sometimes they take a lot longer, but a lot of times I'll submit anyway because, again, why not? Go where your audience is. This is uh, Justin's Basement Studio, one of the great man caves I've ever been in. As you can see, he is a Michigan State grad, and you, a lot of memorabilia on the walls, a lot of green, a lot of green, green and white lighting in the room. You can see uh, right in the foreground there is where I sit as his producer. He's got a mixer there with all the mics plugged into it. He's got a, some really nice microphones, nice headphones, a nice table and setup, a little bit of soundproofing on the walls. You can see that perforated uh, white along the walls. That's not a flat surface. When a sound wave hits that, it's going to get absorbed because it's not a flat surface and there's not going to be any echo in the room. And I'll get into some of this equipment later on again. But he had the ability to create a studio in his basement. He hired a professional company and put some serious money into it, as you can see, to build a studio. And if you have the ability to do that or you're working to put together a podcast for uh, a place you work and they're giving you a nice budget to do it, you can absolutely do something like that. Who? Who is going to host your show? Is it you? Are you going to have any partners? Is it going to be multiple people? Who will your guests be, if any? Who's your target? And again, the bottom one is the most important thing here. Who am I speaking to? Why do they want this? So most of my radio career, I worked in top 40 pop radio. And at a couple of different stations I was at, laugh if you want, and I'm going to date myself with this reference, but we had a cardboard cutout of Lindsay Lohan in the studio because our target demographic was 18 to 24-year-old females. So every time I turned the mic on, I was looking across the room at Lindsay, and I had to ask myself before I started speaking, does she care about what I'm going to say? If she doesn't care about what I'm going to say, I'm not saying it. So think about specifically who your audience is. And again, when you start a podcast, it's kind of you know natural to think, I want to put this out there for the world. I want everybody to hear it. But think about who your target audience is. Think about who you really want to be uh, speaking to in this podcast. And that will help you get more people downloading, streaming, and listening. And it may help you get advertisers down the road as well. And with that theme, what is the show about? That goes for your entire show, your entire podcast, as well as each individual episode. The bottom line, one of my early mentors in radio taught me this. Full disclosure, I am not a NASCAR fan. I've never watched a NASCAR race. But he told me that when you're doing a radio show, or in this case, a podcast... Do all your work in the pit 
So when the race starts, all you've got to do is drive the car. So the more you can prep and know exactly where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, the smoother it's going to be. And you'll find you'll have your own comfort level with this as you get into podcasting. You'll say, okay, I am a person who likes to have the podcast scripted out. Some people, when they do that, it sounds like they're reading. There are other people who just do bullet points and say, okay, in the first part, I'm going to talk about this with these three bullet points and this with these four bullet points and so on and so forth. Again, do all your planning in the pit. Then the race starts. All you've got to do is drive the car. This is important too. When are you going to record? Whether that's booking studio time or booking your guest, anything like that. How often are you going to release episodes? This is um, important. If you want to build a following with podcasting, you want to have some consistency in your release schedule. It doesn't matter when you record it. It doesn't matter when you edit it, but when you publish it and put it out. Anybody here listen to The Daily from The New York Times? It is, uh, I believe, they're up to 8 million downloads per episode, which is more than The New York Times ever had print subscribers at any one time. If you've never listened to The Daily, they do a phenomenal job. They jump really in-depth on one big story of the day. For example, this morning they were talking about John Bolton and was he fired or did he resign, and they talked to one of their experts in D.C. about it. And I know for a fact that that podcast gets published every morning at 6 a.m., every weekday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern. So when I get out of bed and I take my dog for a walk, I know that that is going to be there for me to listen to. It's now become part of my morning routine I literally don't miss an episode of The Daily because I think it's phenomenally done. There's a big mental hurdle in the middle here, which a lot of you may deal with as you're thinking about, depending on where you are in the creative process right now. When are you going to start it? Sometimes you need that little kick in the butt to get going, and it's easy to sit and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, but at some point you've got to just jump into the pool and do it. So that is a mental hurdle for most podcasters to get over with actually starting it. And when does it end? This is important. What I do with a lot of my clients that I create podcasts for, especially if they're new to podcasting, is I ask them how many episodes they want to do. I'll say one season, and it's a finite number of episodes, and it's three episodes, or it's five episodes, or it's ten episodes. Because if you have this nebulous, oh, I'm just going to do a podcast from now until eternity, it becomes a burden. It becomes one more item in your to-do list, pick up the kids from school, record the podcast, and you're going to lose passion for it. And that's what pod fading is. Pod fading is kind of a relatively new industry term. It's been around for a while, but we kind of figured out what it is. So there's three quarters of a million podcasts in Apple. Only about 25% of them are still creating new content. The rest of them are just sitting there dormant. They've pod faded. Generally happens after about six or eight episodes. You've enjoyed doing it, and then you say... Uh, you know, it's just not a priority right now. So what I do with my clients, and I would suggest you as you start a podcast, is to do three episodes, five episodes, ten episodes. Put a limit on it. When you get to the end of that number, you say, okay, did, did I like this? Do I want to continue doing it? Is this not for me? Do I want to focus my attention on something else? For me and my JAG show podcast, I knew I wanted to start a podcast, but I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. So just to get the reps in, I did a first season which I've now unpublished because I hate the way it sounds now that I have a little bit more experience. But I did interviews with just interesting people that I knew. And I did six episodes. And I talked to six interesting people who had great stories to tell, and I interviewed them. And then as my business has taken off over the last year, I thought, well, you know, if my business is podcasting, I should probably do a podcast about podcasts, which kind of sounds like a Seinfeld episode. But 
what I do now is, and I haven't done it in a little while because I had other things and it, and it fell to the bottom of her list, so I need to practice what I preach here. My season two was five-minute Fridays. Every Friday, I'd do a five-minute podcast, what was going on in podcasting that week. There's another podcast. There's a podcast newsletter called Pod News done by a guy out of Australia named James Cridland. He talks about what's going on in the podcasting industry. That comes out daily, and it is two to three minutes. He'll record it in his hotel room at whatever podcast convention he's at. Two to three minutes, boom, and he's done. And he basically talks about every article that's in his daily newsletter that day. So that's how to avoid pod fading is put a finite number on the amount of podcasts you want to do. Otherwise, it's become a burden and it's going to lose its appeal for you. It's just basic psychology. All right, so the how is obviously the most in-depth thing here. And there's two steps to getting your podcast online. The first thing you need, much like a website, is a host. My preferred host that I use with my clients is Simplecast for reasons I'll show you later. And a full disclosure, I, I am part of the referral program. I'm not going to get too techy here because, to be honest, I don't understand all the technical stuff here. But what your podcast host will do will store the audio on their website, and they will provide you with an RSS feed. And that's about as techy as I'm going to get. Essentially, what the RSS feed does is you connect it to all the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Google, all the ones I mentioned. They are periodically checking that feed. Every couple hours, they check that feed to see if there's new content. If there's new content in that feed, they pull it down into the app. Your user gets your latest episode on Spotify. So the first step is having a host. And this is the step that you pay for. It's anywhere from $5 up to $65, depending on the amount of audio you're storing and more importantly, the amount of analytics you want. They can show you all kinds of things as far as are people listening on iOS or Android? Where are they listening? How long are they listening before they tune out? What times and days of the week are they listening? So you get a really great amount of analytics that gives you insight into your audience as you go higher up into the plans with these different platforms. They can also give you links and embed codes to put the podcast right on your website. SoundCloud, I'm going to be a podcast snob here for a second. SoundCloud is free and you can use it to host your podcast. If you're kind of just messing around with it and testing some stuff out, go for it. SoundCloud was not designed for podcasts. SoundCloud was designed for independent musicians to get their music out to the world. It was designed for when I was working at Channel 955, the 10 people that would come up to me at every single event that I did and tell me they were the next Eminem or the next DJ Tiesto or Pick Your Flavor. It is more for musicians trying to get discovered than it is for podcasts. You can play around with it, but these other ones, and there are many, but these are probably the three that I'm most familiar with. They are designed for podcasting to give you the tools to share your podcast, the analytics and all that. So if you want to mess around on SoundCloud, that's that's fine. If you want to not before you commit money to a host, but if you're getting serious about podcasting, I highly recommend something else. For example, this is Simplecast home screen. So here is the homepage of my podcast, the Jag Show podcast, quick bio on me. And what's cool about Simplecast, and I believe other apps may do this as well. I'm not as familiar with them. So you see the little black box there that says, listen on Apple Podcasts. When I took that screenshot, I took it from my laptop and it knew that I had iTunes on my laptop and I was likely to listen on iTunes. If you were to access this website from your phone, if you're on an iPhone or any iOS device, that's going to show up as listen on Apple Podcasts. If you access this website from an Android phone, that's going to show up as listen on Google Podcasts. It's going to detect your operating system and which is your most likely podcast app to listen to. And then I can't mouse over this because this is a screenshot, but right here where it says listen and subscribe, 
If you click on that, that opens a box with all the other places that your podcast you've set up with, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, iHeart, wherever you have that podcast. And then Simplecast, again, most of them do this. I'm partial to Simplecast. These are the sharing tools they're going to give you. So that first one that's highlighted in yellow, that is a link to copy. You can just paste that anywhere, social media. Web player embeds, you can embed, like I said, it on your website. Uh, recast is really cool. Recast and different companies and different websites call this different things. But Recast will take a clip of your podcast and turn it into a video. Simplecast, for example, will take 30, 60, or 90 seconds. You set it so the beginning point and the end point for it's like a promo. Like this was a really interesting part of the podcast or the conversation. I want to use this to promote my podcast. And what it'll do, it'll, you can either give it an image or it'll use your default podcast artwork. It'll take the audio and it'll give it a little moving waveform at the bottom on this file. They'll make it an MP4 file, which is a movie file. So now it's not audio, it's video. You can post it on Instagram. You can post it on Facebook. Facebook's algorithm likes video very much more than just audio. So now you've created a video out of your audio uh, recast. There's a website called Audiograms. There's many different ways to do it, but it's a nice way to be able to share your content in a way that's going to show up in front of other eyeballs. And then uh, Simplecast, for example, down here has uh, platform-specific links that are formatted to each of these, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can share your podcast with that link on those social media platforms. And then you can even, if you want, you can send somebody a link to download the MP3 directly. So it gives you a lot of different options of how to share your podcast send it out to the world. And I mentioned this earlier. These are the applications. There are many more than these. Pandora is getting into this podcast game a little bit too. They're starting to get into it a little bit. You pay for your host. You submit to your apps. Apple King followed by Spotify. Google's improving. The two things you're absolutely going to need to submit your podcast to any of these apps are audio and a logo. So you need to have a logo and for those of you who don't know, Apple has specific requirements for your podcast logo. It has to be square, not rectangular. It has to, because they want it to show up on iPhones and all their iOS devices, it has to be a minimum of 1,600 by 1,600 pixels and a maximum of 3,000 by 3,000 pixels. Apple is king of this game. They 70% of U.S. podcast listening. They can make some of the rules. And if you want it to be on Apple, your logo has to meet their requirements. They also need a piece of audio. If you want, you can wait and you can just upload your first episode when you're done. But what I like to do with a lot of clients is I like to have a trailer. And the trailer serves two purposes. One, it's just like a movie trailer. It can get you excited about the podcast. If someone doesn't want to commit half an hour to listen to episode number one, maybe they click on the two-minute trailer and you tell them what the podcast is going to be about. Also, the approval process for these apps is not instantaneous. Sometimes it can approve a show within hours of being submitted. Sometimes days when Apple gets really backed up, they can take up to two weeks to approve a show before they list you on Apple. So if you create the trailer first, you now have a logo, you now have a piece of audio, and you can submit that trailer to Apple and get a jump start on that uh, approval process while you're working on episode one so that when episode one is done, you can submit it because once these apps all approve you, it's as simple as uploading uh, to your host, and it appears on these apps within hours. So once you're approved once, you're good to go. Also, and I don't have this in my slides, but it's worth mentioning, if you swear in your podcast, you can. There are some who do. For example, Pod Save America, they drop more F-bombs than I can count because, again, they're Obama staffers talking about Trump, so 
you can figure how that's going to go. So you have to mark the podcast as explicit. And your host, when you upload your show, will give you a checkbox to mark it as explicit. If you're in Apple Podcasts, you'll see a little E next to some podcasts. That means there's course language in there. And that can be language section. Yes, sir. I will tell you why you have to mark it, and I'll let you make the judgment call based on this explanation, which is if somebody is listening to your podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of them, really, and they hear an F-bomb that they weren't expecting, well, just for example, it could be, okay, okay, fine. And my, okay, so with my radio background of this, I'm not going to say them in mixed company, but my radio background, to me, explicit means the seven dirty words from George Carlin's famous routine from the 70s. So the seven really raunchy, dirty, offensive words, which again, I'm I'm not going to say because I just met all of you. But but you can imagine what they are. Anything that's patently offensive, it could, and it could be sexual content too. It doesn't have to just be foul language or, you know, really graphic violence. If it is not marked as explicit, and somebody complains to Apple, I was doing this podcast and I wasn't expecting this kind of content. Apple can yank you immediately, no questions asked. Apple can just pull you right down and you're gone. And again, that's 70% of US podcast listening. You've just lost access to 70% of the podcast audience. So if you think it's just fleeting, like a quote, somebody said something, and you don't think it's going to be that really offensive, you can make that judgment call to not mark it as explicit. And you can mark individual episodes too if you feel comfortable with it. It's a safeguard. And again, if it's explicit, that might mean one F-bomb. That might mean SOB. That might mean, you know, the Positive America guys dropping the F-bomb 20 times in a 90-minute podcast. So it's important to mark your podcast as explicit. If you choose to, you know, based on your content and your audience, make it explicit. Okay, we're going to get into equipment, which is probably, I assume, a, a big reason that some of you are here. I've got some... A, equipment level recommendations at different price points to sort of help you out. You're going to need a recorder, obviously, to record the audio. And that can even be that can even be your computer if need be. You need editing software so that you can put it together. Or you can hire an editor like me. If you are going to talk to somebody that's not in the same place that you are, you need a platform, and I'll get into these later, like Squadcast, where you can record both sides of a conversation that are not in the same place. I will give you an example here of a trailer that we put together, as I mentioned, the importance of that. So the Detroit City of Design podcast, we went a different route in that we produced all 10 episodes before we released them. So when it came time to put together the trailer, much like a movie trailer, we were actually able to use clips of the interviews in the podcast. And this is how it came out. Design is all around us, but its power to improve our communities and our lives often goes unnoticed. We really were thinking about how when you insert equality or justice into divided communities, you can find love. My name is Olga Stella, Executive Director of Design Corps Detroit. We invite you to a new conversation, one that examines the role of design in creating the conditions for a better quality of life and economic opportunity in cities. Hip-hop architecture is a movement to bring architecture closer to the people who actually have to engage it. In each episode, we ask great thinkers, designers, and city leaders to share their thoughts on how design practices can create 
the spaces, products, and systems that can benefit all people. Detroiters have always loved fashion, but we have an opportunity to build factories that are state-of-the-art and that are already sustainably planned. I feel that that's my duty as head of design for a major car company is to keep that flame going and always make Detroit relevant as a maker of things that are cool. Detroit has a rich legacy of design and innovation, transforming the way the world has worked, moved, and lived. As the only UNESCO city of design in the United States, Detroit is positioned to become a model for how design can drive inclusive growth. Subscribe to follow our journey as we hear insights from both Detroit natives and international designers. So that was 90 seconds. That gave you a good feel for what that podcast is going to be about. If you're interested in design, you're interested in architecture. And we took different perspectives. We had one of the voices you heard was a professor at U of M. One of the professor, one of the voices that you heard was Rolf Gilles, who is Chrysler, FCA's global head of design and kind of a rock star in the car and design business. And all these different people had these different perspectives. And we put that in the trailer. So we knew that we had all of these episodes. And that's the way we did our trailer. Obviously, you need microphones. I will spend a significant amount of time on that at the end because I know that's something people ask about a lot. Okay, your recorder. The Rodecaster Pro. This is the top of the line one. If you are have a nice budget you're working with, it is actually what I have in front of me right now. And this is from their website. This is a suit. I call this my studio in a box. When I record with a client, I bring this to a client. Stephanie's actually seen me bring this to a client that we work with together. This has up to four microphone inputs. You can have four people in the room. It has a USB input if you've got somebody on uh, Skype or Squadcast or one of those. Next to that is a hardwire plug for a phone. Next to that is a Bluetooth connection. You guys playing music off my phone off Spotify when you walked in. And then the last one here on the right, these eight buttons on the right, they can be your open, they can be your close, they can play whatever you want. That's how I just played the trailer was just with one of these hotkeys over here. And in fact, when I was hosting a trivia podcast, I had a ding and a buzzer. So when somebody got a question right or somebody got a question wrong, you buzz them or you ding them. So this unit is incredibly versatile. It's got four headphone jacks in the back. So four people can adjust their own headphone volume if you're recording the show live. If you were in a situation where you were doing a live recording of a podcast, it's got outputs to speakers. Obviously, it's a lot quieter in here than it would be if you were in an auditorium. But you can plug speakers into this thing and do a live show right out of the gate. So that's the top of the line thing. If you have the budget to create a podcast, it's pricey, but it is incredibly worth it. This is the best investment I ever made in my podcasting business. The next thing down the line are these Zoom mobile recorders. The H1N on the right is the low end. That's just got a built-in microphone, which is okay. The kind of standard one is in the middle there. One, uh, The two in the middle, one's just a recorder, one's a full-on package. And this is a screenshot from Amazon. You can get all this on Amazon, a lot of them. The Zoom H4n, the bottom of that has two inputs, like here uh, where I'm pointing my finger here with the microphone. You plug two microphones into it, you're going to have a conversation with two people. It goes anywhere. You can plug it into the wall. You can put batteries in it. The Zoom H6, where that says uh, four-track, that's got four microphone inputs and then additional ones. So these are all pretty good. And actually, the podcast that Stephanie and I work on together actually started the podcast using this before this came out and we got this. So the Zoom is good. It's also got, you can see on the end, those are microphones on the top of it. So the quality isn't as dynamite, but it's still usable. If you're in a situation where you're in a crowded area and you just kind of want to, the old news reporter stick the microphone in somebody's face thing, you can use that 
uh, for here. So the Zoom recorders are also pretty good, and they start at 100 bucks. You can go up to three, 400 bucks on them if you're doing any kind of uh, recording out in the field. Other ways to do it, you can plug a microphone in your smartphone or your computer. That's fine. Smartphone without a mic if you have to. A built-in laptop mic if you really have to. That is decreasing quality as you go down that list. So, for example, this laptop here has a microphone somewhere in here. If you just think about the basic physics of it, if you are about yay far from your laptop, it's got all that noise from the room to pull in along with your voice. Unless you really want to talk like this in your laptop the entire time that you're talking to your guest, and that's not going to be comfortable at all. Um, editing software, there are a lot of different options here. This is just part of the list, but these are the ones that uh, I'm somewhat familiar with. Please, um, like, uh, please, I mean, really, no, hang on, please, do not, like, uh, ever upload a podcast to the world that's uh, God, just um, the uh, way you recorded it, like, and um, the way you edited it, because it will be painful. In fact, I'll give you an example. This is a financial podcast that I recorded with a financial advisor. Uh, this is the before. I, I think so. So let me ask you this then. You, you said that it doesn't always work and makes sense to use an annuity, but why should people use annuities and what are the advantages of doing so? I, I'm sorry. You have to repeat that. For some reason, Siri kicked in. Oh, okay. Took yeah. over the controls. <laughs> so... So, Philip, you mentioned why sometimes an annuity isn't always the best move, but why should people use an annuity? What are the advantages to doing so? Well, there's there's several fold. One is that it, on an equity index, you can get some market performance or participation uh, without any downside risk. Could anybody follow that? Exactly. A little bit. Here's what it sounded like after. Again, kind of a dry topic to begin with, in all honesty. But here's what it sounded like after we edited it. So that first clip was 40 seconds. This one Philip, is 18. Philip, you mentioned why sometimes an annuity isn't always the best move. But why should people use an annuity? What are the advantages to doing so? There's several fold. One is that on an equity index, you can get some market performance or participation without any downside risk. A lot easier to follow, a lot less painful as a listener. Your listener is committing a certain amount of time to you to listen to your podcast. Respect the time they're giving you. And when you're editing, you know, the way people speak, sometimes you know runs into the next word, and sometimes you can't make that edit. And that's fine because that's how people talk. Generally, when I edit a podcast, I will take out about 80 to 85% of those crutch words. The way that I decide whether or not I take them out or not is if it's an easy edit. If the edit is just too tricky and the words are running together and it's not going to sound natural, don't do it. There's also the artful ums, one of the, pod, uh, one of the seminars I went to at the Podcast Movement Convention last month. Some ums are good because if you ask somebody a question and it's a really insightful, deep question and they have to think about an answer – and you want your audience to know that, okay, you caught them off guard and they really had to think about it. Huh. Wow, that's a really good question. There's value in that because that's context. It's all about the context. If it's just regular speech and regular conversation and people are just kind of stumbling their way through it, that's one thing. But if the um indicates emotion or thoughtfulness or something like that, it's worth keeping. Not all ums are bad. Okay, to the software now. Logic Pro is an Apple-based uh, software program. A lot of people use that, and that'll run you about 200 bucks. 
Uh, Pro Tools is what a lot of recording studios use, high-end recording studios that record musicians that have often instruments with them. Adobe Audition is the one that I use, and part of the reason I use that is because coming up in radio, I've been using that program for 15 years. It was cool at it, and then Adobe bought it, became Adobe Audition. And then sadly, they got big enough to the point where they now charge a monthly subscription fee, and you can't just buy the software. But for me, that $22.50 is worth it because every month it's, it's the best program that I've used. I'm most comfortable with it. A lot of people use Audacity. Some of you may have used it or may have heard of it. That one's free. I personally hate Audacity, but only because I'm used to another program. There are people who love Audacity and make great sounding podcasts with Audacity. So you can try it and see what you like. Also, if you have a Mac or even an iPad, you can use GarageBand for free. You can edit on that or like um, hire um, um, an editor. And this is the best part. The line at the bottom is important. The best editing program is the one you know. Um, in editing, and I won't get too technical here, I'm just going to show you a couple screenshots here. So this is one file. This is single track editing. That is one interview. You can cut, copy, paste, just like you would in Microsoft Word. You can delete stuff out. You can move stuff around. You can uh, filter stuff. You can EQ it, add more low end, more high, and do all the things you would do in an editing thing. But this is also known as destructive editing because in this file... When you do things to this file, that's how the file is. You can save versions as you go. You can use the undo function to a point, but what you do to this file is done on this file. So a lot of people do multi-track editing. This is, uh, looks to be about a 20, 25 minute interview that I did. I am on top in the green. Yep, I'm on top in the green and my guest is below in the purple. And again, this is a really detailed edit that I did of an interview. And all those lines are edits that I've made in this interview, every single one of those lines. So this is non-destructive. So when you put the file onto different tracks in a multi-track editor, when I started, that was one green block for me and one purple block for her. And I went through and I deleted ums and ahs and likes and you knows and breaths. And an important point about breaths, by the way, while I think of it, a common rookie mistake when it comes to editing is to delete breaths out of a conversation. If you take every breath out of a conversation, there's no breaths in between sentences, and the conversation is going to sound like this. There's not going to be a natural flow to it. One sentence is going to run to the next. That's really not going to sound natural. It's probably going to annoy some people as they listen. But on the flip side, between every sentence, hearing <gasps> is quite distracting too. So the answer is lower the volume on the breaths. If it's not a very loud breath, you can lower it 10 decibels. If it's a very loud breath, you can lower it 20, 30, and it will have a normal flow to the conversation. And those, even if you silence the breaths, which you, it, there's different schools of thought on whether you should or shouldn't, but it will leave those natural pauses between sentence there, and it will still sound like a normal conversation. So in the multi-track editor, all the changes we're making are going to be combined into one file from here. So anything you take out, you move around, anything like that, that is not affecting the original source file. So if you do something and then you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, you still have the actual file to go back to and you're not destroying anything in that file. This is a high-end program that I use. I don't know if you can see on the right there, but it runs about 400 bucks. Isotope spelled I-Z-O-T-O-P-E makes a program called RX7. 
there's high-end editing things on here like breath control. And none of these are foolproof. You've still got to go through your file afterwards. But breath control will lower the volume by uh, a level you set on the breath. So you're not going through every single breath manually. But you've got to play with it to set it just right. Uh, D-bleed, if you've got two microphones that they're picking each other up, it kind of pulls some of the bleed out of that. D-clip, when your voice gets really hot, too hot for a microphone to handle into the red, so to speak, that's clipping and it causes distortion. It can sometimes fix that. It can sometimes take the hum out of a room if you're sitting near like a computer fan or something like that. D-S-er, sometimes people's S's, depending on the voice in their microphone, really come through a lot and it can be distracting. D-plosives. Plosives are hard consonants like, and I'm going to move my, my pop filter out of the way. Plosives are P's and B's and T's and, and consonants that are so hard, there's a little puff of air that comes out of your mouth when you start a word with those letters. And so if you think about Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, you can hear that puff of air coming out of my, my mouth into that microphone and picking up. So there are different accessories used. I have a pop filter here. So now if I say Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, you don't hear that annoying puff of air with every P. Another way to avoid that if you don't have one of these is to sort of talk into your microphone at more of a 45-degree angle. That can cut down on those plosive consonants as well. And this program can help remove some of those. D-reverb, if you're in a really echoey room, it can help. Again, none of these are foolproof. None of those will fix everything. Uh, it is much easier to fix in pre than it is post. It's much easier to make your room sound right, make your, you and your guests sound right, than it is to fix it after the fact. Stuff can be fixed. Some stuff can't be fixed. So it's best to try to get that sound just right when you're starting out. So we talked about this remote recording software. If you're not in the same place as your guest to record a podcast, don't use these. It's very, uh, very common to use uh, Zoom video conferencing, Zoom.us. That's great if you're in a boardroom and you're talking to your office in, uh, in Tokyo. Skype, kind of the same thing. If you want to call mom and show her a picture of the baby, a video of the baby, that's great. Or Ringer is the same idea. But these, without getting, again, too technical, these applications don't record audio at a high quality. And so... The cliche is garbage in, garbage out. If it doesn't go in with good quality, you're not going to have good quality in your final product. Better quality are these three. Zencaster is one that I'm not familiar with, but it gets a lot of good ratings in the podcast community. I use Squadcast. Full disclosure, I'm not compensated by Squadcast in any way, but I love their platform. What's unique about Squadcast is it records both sides of the conversation locally. So... If I am on my computer here in Detroit and Steph talking to Stephanie and she's in Chicago, it's going to record me through my computer on my machine. It's going to record her on her computer on her machine. So if there's any buffering with your internet connection, it's not going to affect those two recordings because it's recording locally and not relying on the internet to do it. And then what it does in the background it progressively uploads to the cloud. My tech speak right. Progressively uploads to the cloud. So as it's recording you, it's uploading to Squadcast that recording as you're going. So if we're 10 minutes into a 30-minute conversation and my internet goes out, we still have that 10 minutes. We don't have to go back and re-record it. It's already saved and already there. So Squadcast, any of these are much higher quality. A double-ender 
I didn't know what that was when I first heard it. A double ender is each person records on their own end separately, and then you put the two files together. So those of you who have listened to The Daily, they'll talk to their reporters in South Korea, Egypt, the Middle East, you know, D.C., New York, you name it. And there's sometimes they include the audio at the beginning of the, of the host, Michael Barbaro, calling these people. And for months, I was trying to figure out, if he, how is he talking to them on the phone? They sound so crystal clear. They finally revealed how they do that. The guest has two phones. They are having the conversation on this phone, and they're using the voice recorder on this phone. And so all they do is when the interview is over, goes on the phone, uploads the file by email back to New York, and the producers take that file, put it with the recording locally of the host, put it in a multi-track session, and create the show. Now, granted, they have a team of about 20 people for every episode, and you may have a team of one, but if you are somewhere they don't have access to a good quality microphone or recording, that's the way to do it. Have, talk to them on the phone, have them record it, and send you the file. So that's another option. This is important because most people have not been in front of a microphone. This is, goes for your guests and also you. I'm going to run through this real quickly. Whichever platforms and recording software you're using, restart your computer because you never know what's running in the background on your computer that's tying up resources. Try to lose any background noises if you can. Make sure you've got a good quality internet connection speed. If possible, and you can, you can plug in for, to get for your internet connection, do that. That's going to be a lot more reliable than Wi-Fi. If you've got to use Wi-Fi, try to make sure it's a good quality Wi-Fi signal. But again, corded is better than Wi-Fi. You want to make sure that the audio quality is good. Uh, mic technique, I'm going to show you something here in a second. And this may seem obvious, but it's not to a lot of people. They've got to be wearing headphones or earbuds because if you're talking to them on the computer and they're using their computer speakers, their microphone is going to pick you up as it comes out of their speakers. And it will create, at worst, feedback, at best, an endless echo that when you try to take it out in post-production, if you're not like me, you'll pull your hair out. Another important thing is record level. So some people ideally will stay at the same, mic same, uh, same spot in front of the microphone. If you get excited and you yell and you laugh, that's not going to be good. But if you lean back as you laugh, that's going to be a little bit better. It's going to be a more consistent recording level on the mic. Same thing if you're talking about a very intimate story and you're talking about something that you're kind of lowering your voice and speaking at a lower volume, you just want to lean into your mic a little bit more. Turn down your earbuds. And again, this may seem obvious, but it's not obvious to your guests. If their earbuds are too loud, same thing as the computer speakers. That microphone is going to pick you up out of their earbuds. So they can't be listening to you too loudly or it's going to feedback and you may not be able to use that recording. Maybe an office, it may be a closet, but for our purposes when you're recording a podcast, it's your recording studio. Different rooms in the house behave differently. You ideally do not want to record in your bathroom with all that hard tile counters and bathtubs and that sort of thing. It's going to be really echoey. Kitchen doesn't always work out as well. Living room might be okay if you've got, you know, couches and a lot of soft material around you. There are some people who actually build a little pillow fort of couch, couch cushions around them to cut down an echo. There are some people, if they have a walk-in closet or even a non-walk-in closet, they'll sit on the floor of their closet and report, record their podcast because you've got enough clothes hanging around you that the audio and the sound waves are going to be absorbed by that soft material and not bounce off something hard and echo. Speaking of 45-degree angle, I covered that 
Proximity effect is the case with most microphones. I'm going to take a sip of water. I'm going to show you what proximity effect is. Most microphones, you want to speak within about three inches of that microphone or even closer. It's obvious that as, as you get further back from your microphone, you're going to be quieter. But you also lose part of the audio in your voice. When you're really up on the microphone like this, you can hear the bass in my voice and you can hear a full sound. As I back away, not only do I get quieter, you're actually losing the bass out of my voice. These, my, most microphones are set up for you to be right on them. So you want to be right on that microphone and it's going to pick up the full frequency spectrum of your voice, the high ends, the low ends. You want to be right up on that thing to make it sound good. If you have a guest who's kind of doing this as they're talking around, it's going to drive you crazy in post-production. But ideally, you want to coach your guest to be right up on this. And again, that's why a laptop microphone generally isn't good because it'd be really awkward to get this close to your laptop microphone. All right, let's get into microphones. Two types of connections, USB and XLR. If you want to plug directly into your computer to record, USB is pretty straightforward. I assume most people in the room know what a USB connection is to their computer. The XLR, that's the little three-pong on the right. That is uh, the microphone that I'm using now. XLRs are better quality than USBs. You can sound okay on a USB. It's not ideal, but you can do it. And most people aren't going to be able to tell a huge difference. XLR is just going to be more fuller. It's going to have a better sound. And you can plug into a recorder like this, one of those portable Zoom recorders. Or if you want to have an XLR microphone, it's a higher quality microphone, you can either get an adapter that's going to go XLR to USB into your computer, or you can get a little box that you plug your headphones and your mic info into, and then that's got a USB connection to your computer. XLR microphones are generally better and best to use an XLR connection when you can. So there are two types of microphones, also dynamic and condenser that I'll explain. And this is a little techy, but it's worth knowing. Uh, dynamic microphones, and this is a dynamic microphone, they don't need any kind of external power source. You plug them in and they're working. You plug the, the uh, cord in and they're working. If you're in a noisy environment, it's less sensitive to distant sound. As you can see, it picks up near sound more. A couple of you guys that were asking questions, I don't think the mic even picked it up because you were further away. So it's near field weighted. It's more weighted to the near field. And it can often high, handle something high-end if somebody gets excited, yells, or screams. But again, easy to sound off mic. I'm not moving very far off the microphone, and you can kind of see the difference. It's very quick. It's a very fast drop-off as I just move a couple inches to my right this way. The opposite of a dynamic microphone is a condenser microphone. They require what's called phantom power. So if you ever have any kind of a mixer or board, you see 24V on it, 48V, or phantom power, that allows your mixer or your board, and this has it too, to feed power to that microphone. With that phantom power isn't going to that microphone, the microphone's not on. But when you turn that power on, it's giving power to that microphone. It is pretty sensitive to stuff near and far, pretty crisp and articulate. Uh, higher dynamic range, that means uh, lower, quieter, low, low end, high end. And you can have an end address microphone is when you speak directly into the end of it. Side address is when you speak into the side of it. But again, these condenser microphones can be pretty powerful, and they can pick up stuff from across the room, echo, stuff you don't want, if you bump it, you know, as you're kind of recording in that. Microphone patterns are important, and I apologize, my line on that slide went to the next line. <laughs> the first one is omnidirectional, also known as polar. That is a 360-degree field of vision. doesn't matter which side of the microphone you're talking into. It's going to pick up all around it. 
The middle one is the cardioid. That is, I believe that one I'm using is cardioid. That is going to be one end is going to pick up stronger than the other. That's the end you're going to talk into, obviously. And the last one, bidirectional. That is, uh, it picks up from two, both sides of the microphone. If you have one microphone for an interview with two people, you want to put that between you and try to be the same distance. The problem with bidirectional microphones is that if you have one person that's louder than the other, you only have one volume control. And you're either going to end up with a podcast where one person is louder than the other, or you're going to spend a lot of time in post-production figuring out which is each person and adjusting the volume accordingly. So a bi-directional microphone has some use, but if you're in a situation where you're on a tight budget and you can only get one microphone, you want to have two people, you can get one, it's not going to be the most ideal results. The Blue Yeti is very popular in the podcasting community. Incredibly overrated microphone. So you can get accessories for the microphones. Uh, don't be scared by the prices on these. These are for really expensive mics. I just pulled this off a website. But um, windscreen, you can see right here, that is to cut down on breathing. Or if you're in an environment that's got a lot of, if you're outside, it's windy, obviously. It's going to cut down on the amount of wind that your mic picks up. You can get these windscreens for a couple of bucks. It's really, they're really inexpensive. A pop filter is this uh, screen I have right here. When I was a poor college student, I think we used pantyhose at one point instead of a pop filter, um, and it served the same effect. It cuts down on those annoying plosives that we talked about earlier. The shock mount, depending on your setup, it will prevent the mic from getting jostled around. And it doesn't matter. You can go into Guitar Center right now, and you can buy a $3,000 microphone. If you don't know how to use it, it's not going to make you sound any better. The user is much more important than the microphone. I know people that sound better on $50 microphones than people on $3,000 microphones because they know how to use the microphone, and a lot of it is the stuff that we've been talking about. These are some different brands. If you have a nice budget to work with, the three here are ones that we use at radio stations. And again, there's a stuff that comes with it. The Electro Voice, also known as EV, the bottom left, that is the RE3, uh, sorry, the RE20, and they have a, has a cousin, the RE27, which are basically the same microphone. I know most radio stations I've worked at have had that microphone for the DJ in the studio. They're pricey. If you're able to spend that amount of money on it, great, because they're great microphones. They actually cut down on that proximity effect a little bit, too. And then they just came out with the RE320, which is sort of a hybrid of the 20 and the 27. That's a little bit less expensive. Uh, and the one on the right, I've seen some radio stations use this one too, the Shure SM7B. That's still going to run you about 500 These are great sounding microphones, but it, I mean, again, you've got to know how to use them. This is what I recommend for my podcast clients when they start out. What I like about these two microphones, the ATR2100 and the Samsung Q2U, they have two connections on them. They've got a USB connection and they've got a uh, XLR connection. They're versatile. And they typically, as you can see here, will run you 50 or 75 bucks, a lot more affordable. They'll plug directly in your computer by USB. Or if you have a recorder or a system like this, they can use, you can use the XLR to make it sound even better. And again, you can shop for deals on Amazon. Good microphone brands. Rode is an Australian microphone company. They're the one that makes this box that I'm using right here. Audio-Technica, Samsung, Shure, EV, those are all good brands. I'm not a fan of Yetis because I think they're more for people who don't have an audio experience and just want to do a podcast and get whatever's trendy. I'm not a big fan. If you, if you have a Yeti and you like it, I'm not going to judge it. That's fine. Everybody has their own flavor. Do what makes you comfortable and what you like, but I'm not a fan of the Yeti microphones. 
Sadly, in 2019, there are not a lot of brick-and-mortar stores left to go get this stuff, and I know that's true of a lot of things. Uh, Guitar Center is going to be your best bet. Anytime I've gone into Guitar Center, the staff there, extremely knowledgeable, extremely friendly and helpful. Any problem I've ever had, everyone. So that's cords, microphones, recorders, you name it. Anything that I've actually physically bought, I've bought at Guitar Center. You can also get most of this stuff on Amazon. There are some specialty companies out there as well. Sweetwater is a few hours down the road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They're great. They're where I got this Rode Procaster from. Uh, Pro Audio Star and B&H is an audio video uh, warehouse out of New York. Those are all very reputable companies that you can get equipment from. Aretha said it best, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. If someone's listening to your podcast, that is a time commitment. Whether your podcast is five minutes or two hours, they are still committing time to dedicate to listening to the content that you are providing. Please respect their time and don't waste it. You're only going to upset them. My two biggest reasons I will turn off a podcast, number one is poor quality audio. If I can't understand you, forget it. Endless banter and tangents, and I'm sure you've all heard a podcast that starts out with, hey, so I had this great breakfast at this noodle diner down the road. They got the best bacon and eggs. And um, Oh, by the way, leave a review for us and, and follow us on social. No, you're not going to – anybody knew, knew that way. And unless it's somebody that you know you have got a really longstanding relationship listening to – if there's a way to naturally word that into the conversation, great. But if you start doing that and all these tangents that aren't the content, what people are there for, they are going to leave. They're going to leave very quickly. They're going to leave in droves. You are not going to keep them. There are just too many options. Again, 750,000 podcasts on Apple to say nothing of every other way we can be entertained on our phones while we're sitting in the doctor's waiting room for two hours. Inconsistent volume, this is another big thing. If you have hosts that are at different volumes, anybody driving around this afternoon in that downpour and that nasty rain? I was listening to a podcast. I was trying to listen to a podcast, and it took me forever to get the volume right to, to be able to hear it over the rain. And if anybody's listening in the car, even on a clear day, there's road noise, there's traffic, there's all that stuff. And the last thing you want to have somebody doing as they're fighting 100-mile-an-hour cars flying past them on 696 is messing with their volume knob in the middle of trying not to get killed driving down 696. You want to have everything in a consistent volume so that you're not turning it up and down depending whether the host or the guest is speaking. It will drive people crazy if they listen or they'll just leave. And again, like I talked about the, you know, you know, like other stuff and that example that I played you a few minutes ago. All right. When you put out an episode within that first month, if you get more than 136 downloads, congratulations, you are in the top half of all podcasts. There are a lot of podcasts that don't do very well. It doesn't take much to get into that top half of them. If you do really well, if you get 1,100 downloads, you're in the top 20%. You get more than 3,200 downloads, you are in the top 10%. Not a lot of people at the top, but if you can get there, great. And again, don't get too hung up on download numbers. Don't refresh the screen every five minutes hoping you got another 10 listens. You can really create a brand and do well with a podcast. With, you know, 10 listeners to a podcast is better than 100 Facebook likes. Even doesn't always seem that way. Number one question I get asked. And it depends. That's my answer. It depends. I have, I've mentioned the Pod News newsletter that comes out every day. That's about three minutes. I've done my five-minute Friday Jag Show podcast. I Full disclosure, I grew up in Boston. I'm a Boston sports fan. There was a 15-minute Boston sports podcast I used to listen to every morning until they discontinued it. The Daily is about 25, 30 minutes. 
Uh, Pod Save America is 90 minutes twice a week. And in fact, I actually sometimes listen at one and a half times speed because I don't have 90 minutes and I can get through it in 60. Longer the show is, the better your content needs to be. If you're going to give me a 90-minute podcast, you've got to have a lot more great content than a 15-minute podcast. Uh, Shorter is better. Stop when it feels right. I'll give you an example. The bone marrow transplant podcast that I was working on, we went downtown here to Carmanis. We interviewed a cancer doctor very at the forefront of his field. We were planning on a 30-minute interview. Our host went through her questions. He was extremely well-spoken. He gave great, insightful answers and got through all the questions. And she looked at me and she said, how long was that? And I said, 15 minutes. And she said, oh, no, well, we were supposed to do 30. I said, doesn't matter. Stop. The last thing you want to do is stretch to hit some sort of artificial number. You know, in radio, a, a TV show has to be 30 minutes. A radio show has to be 30 minutes or 20 minutes, 30 seconds, whatever, minus the commercials, whatever it is. If you say it out to do a 30-minute podcast and your podcast is 15 minutes, if your podcast is 22 minutes and 8 seconds, if your 30-minute podcast is 37 minutes and 12 seconds, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It's on-demand content. Think about Netflix. Netflix episodes are not 30 and 60 minutes. They could be an hour 12. They could be 47. When you're done telling the story, you're done telling the story. Don't worry about artificial time constraints. Gun to my head, 30 minutes is probably good. But again, you can do good stuff in 15 minutes too. Over half of Americans 12 and up have listened to a podcast. We've now crossed the threshold where more people have listened to a podcast than have not. I think that's an important threshold we've hit, and we hit that in the last year or so. And 7 out of 10 at least have heard of podcasting, have some familiarity with the idea. This is what I talked about earlier. Think about the morning show that you grew up listening to, uh, the intimacy of audio. You really can feel a connection to your host, and you can create a real connection with your audience that video can't, that social media can't, and then you can use this to promote anything you have going on related to the podcast or the business. Put links in social media. Have your social media link the podcast. Put your social media at the end of the podcast. It sort of completes the circle where you can use all the different tools to complement each other. Have you heard of him? You're not going to make $75,000 an episode. You might catch fire. You might go viral. And if you do, great. But think about how many people wanted to be a baseball player or football player growing up. Odds are not in your favor. It might happen, but focus more on the other stuff. There is a podcast, forgive me here for the content, but there is a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. And it is a British guy whose 70-something-year-old dad decided to start writing erotic literature. And he decided to get his two college best friends, his uh, guy, his female best friend and his gay best friend. And every week, the three of them sit around a kitchen table, and he reads out loud a chapter of his dad's erotica. It's horribly written. They make fun of it. It is hilarious. If you're squeamish and, and, and raunchy stuff is not your flavor, don't bother. But he had an idea, put it together, and they're getting millions of downloads. They're doing live shows all over the world. They're doing live shows in the U.S. They're doing live shows in Australia. They're doing live shows in England because they had an idea, and it went viral, just like anything else. They had something that caught fire. They've got sponsors. They've got merchandise. The people are downloading the actual original books that his dad wrote because they became fans of it through the podcast. So anything can happen. Anything can go viral. You don't need me to tell you about that in the context of podcasts. You know that's true anyway. 
So you might make some money, but the connection you're going to make can't always be me measured in money. People say, oh, how do I make money doing this podcast? You might not make money out of the gate doing the podcast. You might not ever make money doing the podcast, but it can be a valuable marketing tool and a valuable way to connect with people, whether um, if you're doing it personally, connect and build a community, or even if you're doing it for your business, a way to uh, create a community there as well. Who can tell me what this is? That's right. Finally, if you're interested, I can help you create a podcast. I can come to you. I can record on site with you. I can produce the podcast, edit it, add any background intro and outro music, give you a professional voiceover for the fun of it, set you up on Simplecast, another podcast host, and all the podcast apps. Come see me afterwards if I can help you create your podcast. So that is my plug. And thank you for your time. Appreciate it.